So we finally finished up uh, the Gospel of Mark a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, studying for uh, books of the Bible takes preparation and time. And so instead of just immediately jumping into some other large book of the Bible, especially with just encountering this whole uh, holiday season, it seemed good that we had something in between that would get us ready for our next study as we go through uh, God's Word in a particular book. And so the thought was, why don't we look at one of the Old Testament minor prophets, uh, one of the smaller books, and go through that a little bit more quickly. And then during that time, I can begin to prepare and get myself ready for another book that we will take more time in. And as I begin to think about this and um, uh, talk with others about that, one of the ideas that came up was, why don't we do some kind of survey of all of the minor prophets? Perhaps taking some time in each book, not months, not years. Uh, there was one preacher I was reading about. He said that he was actually doing something very similar to what I was doing in my thought process for this whole uh, thing, that he got into the Minor Prophets and he ended up staying there for 10 years. Um, I can promise you that that won't happen. Um, and so we'll be uh, older in 10 years, and who knows what we'll be doing and, and what books we'll be studying and where we'll be at. But we won't be taking that much time. But we will do a, a survey. And so we're going to take a minor prophet each week for the next number of weeks and uh, look at them and uh, study them and then get into our actual book in the future. There's a number of uh, reasons uh, for this uh, which we will get to. The prophets of uh, Israel are quite an interesting group. Israel was this uh, nation that consisted of 12 tribes. And for quite some time, they were unified. They were the unified tribes of Israel. And there was uh, King Saul who led the unified uh, state of Israel. And then there was David, who was not his son, but another king, a very important king, probably the most prominent king of Israel. And then there was his son Solomon. And it was these three kings that reigned over this unified nation. So all three of these kings were kings, not over part of Israel, but over all of Israel. And then when Solomon died, there was a rebellion. So we need to know these first three kings. We need to know Saul and David and Solomon. And after these three kings, there was a rebellion under Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son. And ten tribes, which are called the northern tribes of Israel, or Israel collectively, 
So we're not going to follow Rehoboam, but we're going to follow Jeroboam, and they left. So they split apart. So you have the ten northern tribes of Israel saying, we are not going to follow this unified state anymore, but we're going to become our own state or our own nation. There were two tribes who said, no, we're going to continue to follow the kings from the Davidic line. Those are kings from David. And uh, these tribes were the tribes of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Now, some of Simeon also went along with the southern kingdom, but it was primarily Judah and it was primarily Benjamin. And so there was this splitting apart. And so for many years, there existed the northern kingdom in the north with all ten of these tribes, and there existed in the south these two smaller tribes that were collectively called Judah. And over time, each one of these different groups began to rebel against the Lord. And finally, in 722 B.C., Assyria comes in and carts off the northern kingdom. So the northern kingdom is smashed, It is defeated by this nation or this kingdom or this empire of Assyria. Later on in 586 B.C., well over 100 years later, the southern kingdom would fall, not to Assyria, but the world empire at that time was Babylon. And the southern kingdom would be carted off in three different waves. And later on, they would come back in three waves. So they were exiled to Babylon in three waves. And later on, they would come back in three waves. And it was before this time in 722 and 586 that God began to send the prophets. It was also during the time of the exile that he sent the prophets. And he even sent a couple of prophets after the exile. But I want to read in the scriptures about this splitting apart of this kingdom. So you have the northern kingdom. This is very basic. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we can get lost, especially when we get to the prophets. And this is why it's so important to set this whole thing up so that we can see, okay, where are we? Are we before the Assyrians come in and take over the northern kingdom? Are we during the Babylonian takeover? Are we after that? Where do we fit into this? And so we need to understand that there were two kingdoms, and that both kingdoms were ultimately defeated, one by Assyria and the other by Babylon. If you go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 10, we can read the story of right after Solomon, when his son now is going to take over Israel, and now there is a a division in the land, as there are many people, many tribes saying, we're not sure if we want to follow Rehoboam or not. We're not sure if we like him as our king. So there's great discussion, Second Chronicles chapter 10. You can also, by the way, find this in First Kings chapter 12. We're going to read most of, uh, most of Second Chronicles chapter 10 together. Rehoboam went to Shechem. So this is the son of Solomon. Solomon is now off the scene. His son is going to become king. For all Israel, verse 1, had come to Shechem to make him king. 
And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So these men are of no relation, but you have Rehoboam and you have Jeroboam. And now there is going to be a war. Who is going to follow whom? Verse 3. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all of Israel came and said to Rehoboam. Now the, the question is, are we going to follow? We have followed David, the king, and we have also followed Solomon, the king. But the question is, are we going to follow Rehoboam? Do we like him as the king? Are we going to allow him to rule over us? So Jeroboam comes back from Egypt where he had fled. And all the people of Israel come over to Rehoboam at Shechem. And the question is, how are you going to lead? How are you going to rule over us? This is a great question for leadership. Because the question is, who is going to follow what kind of king? That's the question that is here in the text. Verse 4, they say, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. They say, we've had it rough under Solomon. He was a good king, but he taxed us. He worked us hard. We're tired. So the question is, if we're going to follow you, are you going to be hard like him? Are you even going to be harder? Listen, people have a hard time following hard people. People want to follow people that they know love them and care for them. People don't care how much you know. The first pastor I served under would say this all the time. People don't care about how much you know until they know about how much you care. And so that's the, the question here. That goes all the way back to Aristotle. Is it leaders that care? Is it leaders that love? It's not that they're not firm. It's not that they don't have vision. It's not that they're not able to lead. But the question is, do they have love? Do they have care and concern for the people that they're leading? That is the question. And so they come and they ask him this question, how are you going to lead, Rehoboam? Verse 5, he said to them, come to me again in three days. So the people went away, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Good idea to go to old men. Not old, old men are wise. There are old fools. But you get some old men who love God, who are faithful to him in their younger years, who know how to repent, who are soft before the Lord. You take a man like that in his 20s and in his 30s and in his 40s, and instead of becoming harder and more cruel, a man of God becomes softer with the years. With a gray head comes much wisdom. And so Rehoboam comes to these older men. And by the way, that should be the dream of every young man, is to be a godly old man. And the only way to be a godly old man is to be a faithful young man. 
And so he goes and he asks these older men who had served in the court of Solomon, how should I treat the people? The old men say to him, listen, if you're good to them, if you're gentle with them and you're kind, and you listen and you have understanding and you don't overtax them and you don't overwork them, they will follow you forever. They will follow you because they know that you care about them. And Rehoboam is listening to this counsel, and the Bible says here that he abandons it. He says, you know what, I'm not going not to go with the counsel of the older men. So he asks about the young men, verse 9. So the young men, you can see at verse 8, who had grown up with him and stood before him, he said to them, verse 9, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father has put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him and said to him, thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. He says, Here's what you tell him, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. You thought you had it tough with him. You're really going to have it tough with me. And by the way, when he uses the word little finger here, uh, in our English translations, it's doing that to try to accommodate appropriateness. He's actually talking about his sexual organ. That's how explicit this is here. And so he is telling them, you can imagine, we don't need to get more explicit than that. He says, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. He's very crude with the people. He's very crass with them. Verse 11, And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly and forsaking the counsel of the old men. So now the country is wondering, how is this going to work? How is he going to lead us? And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the counsel of the younger guys. And when Israel comes back in three days, I'm going to tell them, look, I'm going to be really tough with you. You thought my father was tough. I'm going to be even more tough and more harsh. And at that point, there was a rebellion, and there was a split. And so the ten northern tribes said, we're not going to follow a king like this. We're not going to listen. We don't care if you're from the Davidic line. We don't care who your father was. We don't care who your grandfather was. It makes no difference to us. We're going to follow after Jeroboam. So ten of them split. And all of a sudden now, for hundreds of years, you have the split nation, the people of God. You have the northern kingdom, and you have the southern kingdom. But God is still working his plan in this very special nation. In fact, even today, God still has a plan for his people Israel. You look at this, this nation that has been tortured. You look at their history and all the twists and turns that they have been through. You think of them being unified at one point in their history and then divided and 
Would God still speak to them? Did God still care about his people, Israel? That was the question. And then you see all through the prophets, this is why God sends his prophets to them, to plead with them and to speak the word of God to them. And then up uh, to this current day, you still have this little nation that even in modern times has been persecuted. And the atrocities that we have seen under Hitler were six million Jews are killed. You think about this little nation that has withstood the test of time. It's very interesting that we're not talking about the Amalekites anymore. We're not talking about the parasites or any of these other groups of people. But after thousands of years, we're still talking about the nation of Israel because God still has a plan for Israel. There's concern even in my heart as I turn on the news today and I hear uh, people saying that Israel is just like any other uh, country in the Middle East. You might as well treat it like the United States of America or Russia or China or any other nation. There's, there's no special plan really for Israel. God is treating Israel, the ethnic people, the ethnic Jews in the same way that he's treating every other nation. And then I'm listening to pastors, more and more pastors are saying there's nothing really special about the ethnic people of Israel. There's nothing really special about that little piece of land over in the Middle East. Listen, we need to be very careful. God still to this day has a plan. He has not forsaken his people, Israel. Yes, he has grafted us in. And anybody who knows the Lord Jesus Christ is now a part of his people. Can you say amen? And we thank the Lord for that. But God still has his hand on them. And those that will bless Israel, God will bless. We should get nervous whenever we see church leaders or political leaders stand up and say, we're not going to side with Israel. This doesn't mean that we look the other way against injustice or anything like that. But any political leader, any church leader that says we won't stand with Israel, we need to get nervous about and we need to go back to what the scripture says. I want to show you this in, in Psalm chapter 122. If you go over there to Psalm 122 with me. Psalm 100 and uh, chapter 22 says this. Verse 6. Psalm 122 verse 6. It says this. Pray. For the peace of Jerusalem. You mean that little that little city, that capital? By the way, there's even a fight right now. Can you imagine of whether they can have their own embassy in Jerusalem? What an outrage to think that that's even a question. They should be able to put the embassy wherever they want to put it. And so we pray for this little nation. We pray for this group of people. Even after all of history and all that we have seen throughout the prophets, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we say this, Lord, we pray for peace to come in the Middle East. Lord, would you, would you protect that little bit of land over there in the Middle East that we call Israel? Would you bring peace back to Jerusalem would you raise up people, O oh Lord, who will protect them and do them good and speak well of them and help them and not curse them? 
This is what Psalm 122 is saying. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Who love who? Not This isn't talking about God. This is talking about Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you, Jerusalem. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. I will seek your good. And so we're a church here that says, Lord, we realize you still have a plan for them. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Lord, we ask you that your will would be done, that you would bring many Jews to Jesus, and that in the meantime, you would protect your people, Israel. And so God had a plan. He had a plan for them, even though the nation had split apart, even though the northern tribes had gone their way, and the southern tribes had gone to a different way. God said, I'm going to send my messengers the prophets to plead with them. Uh, the prophets were not necessarily teachers. That was for the priests, and later on the scribes would do um, a lot of the teaching in Israel. The word prophet comes from a few different Hebrew words, three in particular. The first and most uh, popular Hebrew term for the word prophet in the Old Testament is navi. In the plural is naviim. And so a prophet literally means to bubble up, to speak forth. And so here you have this divided nation, and God decides to send his messengers, the prophets, who would bubble up with the word of God, and who would announce the word of God. Oftentimes when we think of prophets, we uh, think simply of people who predict the future. They do that often. But here it means at its most basic level, those who speak forth the word of God. And so they would go to Israel and they would say something along the lines of, Thus saith the Lord. And they would speak to the northern tribes. And sometimes, as we will see, the, the prophets would speak to the southern tribes. And sometimes they would speak to the Gentile nations that surrounded Israel. But whenever they spoke, it was with authority and it was with clarity. And it was bubbling up. It was a speaking. There was an anointing. There was an authority over their life that came from the Holy Spirit as they announce the word of God, as they proclaim the word of God. And by the way, this is something we desperately need today. I was talking to somebody recently about the state of the church. And what we need today is people, listen, there are no longer people in the office of prophet. If somebody comes and says, I'm an apostle, an actual apostle, or actual prophet, yes, there are people with the gift of prophecy, but there are no people today that are speaking from the office of prophet. But what we do need is an authoritative word from God that is anointed and is powerful so that when we're listening, we're saying to ourselves, this isn't just a message from man, but this is actually a message from God. And as the prophets spoke, they understood that they weren't just speaking on their behalf, 
but they were speaking from the Lord and they could not contain themselves. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is commanded to speak the word of the Lord. And he says this, this is how he feels about God's word. He says, if I say I will not mention him, he says, I'm not going to preach. If I say I'm not going to speak his name, verse 9 there, second line, or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. So he says, I've got to speak. God has been speaking to me, and I must speak with authority to the people. And even, he says, if I say, well, I'm going to give up on this, he says, I can't because it's the Lord who has spoken to me, and the word of God has become alive, and as we'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and active and burning in him, and he says, I can't hold it in anymore. And so these prophets, or Navi'im, were people who were commissioned by God to say, thus saith the Lord, they were bubbling up. They were speaking forth. They were announcing the word of God. The other two words for prophet, Roach and Hosea, are two other words used in the Old Testament. They basically mean the same thing. Seer, sometimes you'll look in your Old Testament and you'll see the word seer for prophet, means prophet, different words, but they mean one who can see, one who has insight into things. Sometimes it's insight into current circumstances and sometimes it's insight into future circumstances. So whenever we see the word seer, we're thinking of a prophet. It's one who can see. It's one who has insight. It's a seer. So there are times in the Old Testament where we see the prophet will speak about something that is yet to come. And there are times when the prophet has great insight into what is currently going on in the current situation. And by the way, that's often what the gift of uh, prophecy is today, as we said, nobody actually functions in the office of prophet. But it could be that somebody is preaching and they're listening to God and it's not future circumstances that they are preaching about, but it is something currently that is going on. So somebody could be announcing forth the word of God and all of a sudden God comes and gives a word and says, there's somebody here in this room that is addicted to drugs. And uh, the Lord says that you need to repent of your addiction and get help and get right with God. That is a current word to a current circumstance. And listen, there are, are people today who, under the anointing of God, have the ability at different times in their life to speak such a profound, powerful word about certain circumstances in the life of somebody in order to set them free. And so when we see this word seer in the Old Testament, it's one who can see, one who can see into current circumstances, and it's also one who can see into the future. There's a great concern in the Old Testament about false prophets. 
And there's a great concern today. Whenever somebody comes up and says, I have a word from God for you, listen, the antennas need to go up all over. Somebody comes up and says, God has spoken this to me about you. Need to be very careful. Or just because you turn on the TV and somebody is preaching and they have a Bible in their hand doesn't mean that they are preaching the truth. It's interesting how often the Bible is concerned, listen very carefully, about true prophets with a true message that is right from God. Whenever we hear people say, well, let's not take the Bible so seriously. Uh, doctrine is kind of boring. Let's not focus so much of our time. Why do we have to talk about all this introductory stuff when we talk about the prophets? Why do we have to know about the dividing of the kingdoms? And why do we need to know about the northern and the southern tribes? And why do we need to know about these different prophets? Listen, we need to know about it because it's God's word. And whenever we're listening to God's word, whatever it is, we need to say this is important and we need to understand it so that we're not just listening to a few verses and we go, yeah, those verses are good, but we don't understand them in context and we don't really get what they're saying. So the scripture is very concerned about false prophets. I want to take you to a few verses. We're not going to read too much here, but let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting in verse 1. By the way, if you want to do further study, you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. also talks about false prophets. We're going to flip in just a second to Jeremiah. It says this, verse 1, Deuteronomy 13. If a, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. So somebody comes and they do miracles. You say, but you, you wouldn't believe what happened at the crusade. There were different healings and different miracles. But the preacher who got up preached false doctrine, didn't preach from the word of God. Moses says it doesn't matter what they do here. If they're not following after God or if they're leading you after other gods, which you have not known, verse 2, and let us serve them, verse 3, you are not to listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. So somebody comes and says, well, I really feel led to do this. I really feel it. I really think in my heart of hearts this is what I should be doing. But it goes directly against the scripture. It's not from God. Now, aren't you glad that we don't live in the Old Testament times where somebody proclaims to give a prophecy and it's a false prophecy? We take them outside and stone them. It's pretty harsh judgment. But that's how seriously it was taken that if somebody comes and prophesies in the name of God 
and leads the people astray, they are to be taken extremely seriously. One more, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Have I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy, prophesy the deceit of their own heart? Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as, they, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream and tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. There it is. The person who is to speak is to speak his word. Here's, here's the test of prophecy. Does it match the scripture? Does it go underneath the authority of God's word? What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And then he goes on from there talking about the difference between false prophecy and true prophecy. So you have these different prophets, and they are sent with the true word of God. And the message always consists of a message about sin. There's real sin. If a preacher or a prophet is not talking about sin, he's not talking about the Bible. Because there's no understanding of grace, there's no understanding of forgiveness, there's no understanding of healing if there's no talk about sin. So the one who comes and says, well, it's not really my thing to talk about sin. I don't really talk about sin much. We try to stay on a positive note here and only give messages that make people feel good. Listen, they're only damning people to hell. They're not helping them. They're hindering them. So with a true prophet, there's always a message about sin. There's always a message about judgment. But then in God's grace, there's always a message about future restoration. Here's the grace of God, and here is what he is going to do. Now, there's a number of prophets in the Old Testament. We're going to focus on 12 of them. They are called the minor prophets. So in the Old Testament, you have major prophets and you have minor prophets. And some people might think, well, the major prophets were the really important prophets. And the minor prophets were kind of like, from God, but no big deal. And that is not the case here. The only difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets is the size of the book. So you have a prophet like Jeremiah. He has a much larger book, and this is why we have major prophets. Whenever you think of major prophets, it's just the size of the book in the Old Testament. That's all it is. It was actually during Augustine's time that we even had this category of major and minor prophets. It's not in the scripture. You won't find God saying, thus says the Lord, this is Jeremiah, my major prophet. This is just a category. So we have categories of bigger books and smaller books. And we are going to, in the next 12 weeks, focus on the smaller books. These men prophesied from about 850 B.C., 
a little after 400 BC, so for about 450 years or so, 425 years, they were prophesying. Here are the names of the minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These are the 12 minor prophets. So you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. These minor prophets are prophets with smaller books. And the purpose here is to familiarize ourselves with the text. I can't wait to dig into these texts because even though they're the things that I know about them, there's a lot I don't know about them. And so as we're going to study together, because all of God's word is God's word, we want to know it. And uh, I'm, I'm even hoping that after these 12 weeks, maybe in the future, we even have uh, a children's book coming out of this church. Can you imagine how many kids today do you think could tell you one or two facts about Haggai? Probably not many. How many adults could tell us a couple facts? How many pastors could tell us a couple of facts? about Haggai or Zechariah or Malachi. And some of us might be able to pull something from here or a general theme from there. But the hope is that we say, God, you gave us 66 books of the Bible, and we want to know at least what these books mean, and we don't want to get confused by them anymore. So we read through them and we say, well, I think that was interesting, but I have no clue what I just read. And there are many people who feel that way after reading through the text. We also want to see the unity of Scripture. It's amazing in Matthew how many times the words, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet is used. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Well, the prophets of what? The prophets of the Old Testament, the books that we have in our Old Testament. These words, this was to fulfill the, the word that was spoken by the prophet is used in Matthew 1.22 in 2.15, in 8.17, in 12.17, in 13.35, in 21 verse 4. This is all just in Matthew. This was to fulfill. The ministry of Jesus was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet thus. So we want to hear God's word. And we don't want to hear the word of man, but we want to hear the word of God as he speaks to us. And he speaks to us clearly. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've got two more verses. Would you flip with me, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16 says this. All scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What scripture is Paul talking about here? He's primarily talking about the Old Testament. And it's the exact books, there was a recognized canon by the time that Jesus came, of the exact books that we have in our Old Testament. And he's saying this, all scripture, the whole Old Testament is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for these things. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. One more, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. 
says this. Let's go back to verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Is it me or am I hearing a ringing? Does anyone else hear a ringing? Is that an angel or what's going on here? I don't know. Okay, so we do have some ringing here. Yes. It's the heat. Oh. It's a ringing heater. No, that's okay. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this, uh, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Listen, we want to fall in love with the Word. It's the Word. It's the Word that cleans us. It's the Word that guides us. It's the Word. And so as we're listening to this, he's saying, listen, none of the prophets of the Old Testament were just getting this from their own imagination, from their own interpretation, from their own thinking. That's not what was going on. Verse 21, for no prophecy, Peter says, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke, the 12 men that we're going to study, but men spoke from around 850 to about 420 B.C. For men spoke to two different kingdoms before they fell, during, while they were falling, and after they fell. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So as we're going through, we're going to say, okay, this prophet was talking to the northern kingdom. You're going to be able to say, I know exactly what that's talking about. That's talking about the ten northern tribes after Solomon left and Rehoboam came into power and the two southern tribes followed him. But it's, but it's Jeroboam that the ten northern tribes followed. And so when we talk about Israel, we're talking about those ten northern tribes. You go, I can track that. Somebody says we're, we're going through and we're talking about the southern kingdom under Rehoboam. We go, contract that. Or we're talking about Assyria when the northern kingdom falls. Or Babylon when the southern kingdom falls. We get a timeline. All this comes together in our mind. It's historical. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So the Holy Spirit carries these men along. doesn't mean that they were like carried along in the cloud. It means as they were writing, as they were speaking, as these minor prophets, these men of utmost importance, they just had uh, uh, smaller or, or books that were, that were not as large as the other prophets, but all uh, just as important. They're the Word of God. As they were speaking, they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is why we sang songs this morning about the importance of the Word of God. The Word of God is. The Word of God. The Word of God. One of the things the Bible says is that the Word of God is clean. And uh, I've shared this with you before, but I want to close with this. i never forget being in Thailand and then in Cambodia. And I didn't know where that scripture was. And it's from the Psalms that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord leading to a love for the word of God, it says is clean. And so as we, as we, uh, another word that's used in the originals is that it's um, hygienic, cleaning. When we get the word of God, it's cleansing us and it's cleaning us and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's shaping us and it's molding us. There's nothing as precious as this book. And so as we hear these men speak from these different books in the Old Testament, 
we're not going to hear the voice of a man, but we're going to hear the voice of God speaking so clearly to his people Israel and by extension to us so that we become more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? If somebody would please um, get Crystal. Yeah, I forget. Stop the ringing. Let's pray for that right now. It's too late anyway. I didn't listen to half the sermon. All I was listening to was this ringing the whole time. I don't know what we said. Okay. Father, we thank you for everything. Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, that when we when we kind of get the overarching theme of the Bible, yes, there are so many things that are difficult to understand no matter how long we've been in the faith. But, Lord, we can understand your Bible. You've not given it to us to confuse us to death. You've not given it to us so we can take a verse here and take a verse from there, but never really understand the Bible, your book. And so, God, I would pray that as uh, we go into these uh, future uh, sermons on these different books, that we would think back uh, to where they fit. And, Lord, I pray that we would have a growing love for for you speaking to us through this precious book. We pray this in Jesus' name.